And if you would please turn your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. We're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 this evening. That's found on page 528, if you're using the Pew Bible. And I've been going through the series in the book of Proverbs for my evening series. And, and I'm not doing a, a verse-by-verse exposition, but I'm only really hitting the highlights, maybe one or two verses per sermon. And my goal is to preach from each chapter of the book of Proverbs. So my first sermon shows a few verses from chapter 1, my second sermon a few verses from chapter 2, and tonight I'm preaching uh, my third sermon from Proverbs, and we'll be looking at one verse tonight in chapter 3. And this is a well-known verse. I'm I'm sure many of you have memorized this verse. I remember uh, when Jessica and Sarah were kids in vacation Bible school, maybe 20 years ago, they learned this uh, verse and they memorized this verse. And this verse really seems self-evident. I don't think anyone would, would find this verse controversial. Evangelical Christians, liberal Christians, cultural Christians, even unbelievers, even the, the spiritual but not religious crowd, I think would all vaguely agree with this verse. And while this verse may seem innocuous, I think if we truly understand this, understood this verse, we would see how truly radical it really is. We would also see how seldom it is followed, even in the church, even among self-proclaimed conservative evangelicals. But what an impact this verse can have if we truly embraced it, if we internalized it, if we were led by it. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that, that most, if not all, heresy and apostasy we see in the church today involves ignoring or just outright disobedience of this one verse. So for context, I'm going to read uh, verses 5 through 8, but I'm only going to be pre-preaching on verse 5. So Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. You know the word of the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. and Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and a refreshment to your bones. Let's pray. Father, I do pray for your spirit to be with me, Lord, to anoint my words. Father, I pray that we will hear from you. And Lord, I pray that you will enable us to follow these words, enable us to trust in you with all our heart and not lean on our own understanding. Father, I pray that you will be pleased and glorified. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I had a conversation recently And it was a conversation that I've actually had many times with many different people before. And I'm sure many of you have had this same conversation with friends or relatives discussing Christianity, faith, the Bible, or God. And the conversation is really a response to an objection about God. It's an objection really at the the most basic level. And the objection is, is paradoxically both very simple to answer and at the same time impossible to answer, or more accurately, impossible for an unbeliever, and even maybe even some genuine born-again believers, impossible for them to hear and to accept. And the reason for this difficulty to accept the answer to this objection is due to a smuggled-in premise that both we and the person we're talking to may not even recognize that it's smuggled in. And the smuggled-in premise is, is not valid, it's not a valid assumption, But because it's not even recognized, its validity is never even questioned. 
And thus we simply fall into the trap and we are unable to answer this objection to the existence of God. And the, the objection is basically the problem of evil. And the argument goes something like this. If God is all good and God is all powerful, then there should be no evil in the world. So if God is good, he would want to oppose that which is evil. And if he were all powerful, then he would be able to do that which he wants to do. That is to oppose evil. But since it's an obvious fact that that evil exists in the world, hence God is either not good or he's okay with evil. Or he's not all powerful and he's unable to remove evil. So since since evil exists, then God must not exist. That's the way the argument goes. And the way I stated it is, is, is kind of a bland, vanilla, academic way. This is not really the way that you'll hear it when, you're, when it's normally expressed, when you're, when you're talking with people. Normally, what you see when you're talking to friends and family, it's, it's discussed use, using very graphic, very personal examples of evil, of, of, of things that, that are just so heinous, and examples that would rightly sicken us. And then the person will challenge us and say, if your God exists, how could he let that happen? How could he let this evil happen to my loved one? How could he do that when he could have stopped it? And, and, and often there's anger in the voice. Often there is an accusation. Often it is personal. So how do we answer this objection? How do we affirm the biblical doctrine that God is all good, that God is all powerful, while still denying the 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 horror, well, I should, we're not denying the horror and, and the, poor, the pure evil of what was done, what was described. Well, one attempt that we do is, as good Bible-believing Christians, uh, we may say, and I've often said this myself, we may say, this evil is not God's fault. It's because of the fall. It's the natural result of fallen man who is in rebellion against God. This evil is the natural result. Now, this certainly is true. But if we're honest, this is really a hollow response, is it not? If God does not perpetrate evil, he certainly has the power to stop it. Let me give you an example. Suppose you have a child who goes to school, and during recess, the child gets beaten up by another kid, all while while a teacher is standing there watching it. You'd rightly be angry. You'd go to the school and say, what's going on? Why did you let this happen? And the teacher says, not my fault. I didn't beat him up. Another kid beat him up. This is the problem because the kids rebel against the school. And, and they don't follow the rules. That's a, it's a natural result. We, we wouldn't, this argument certainly wouldn't fly if you went with teachers. We would not let the teacher off the hook. So why would we expect a person to let God off the hook? It's basically the same argument that we're given. So this is a pretty difficult objection. There's this apparent logical incompatibility to having an all-powerful good God and the existence of evil in the world. Now, there's one other approach that we can take in an attempt to, to resolve this dilemma. And it's an attempt, it's an approach that's been taken by adherents of, of Christian science. And uh, you may have heard that Christian science is neither Christian nor science. I like John MacArthur. He compares it to grape nuts. He says grape nuts is neither grape nor nuts. So Christian science is neither Christian nor science. But this is an approach for them to not to deny an all-powerful, all-good God, but what they deny is evil. They deny the existence of evil. They claim evil is simply an illusion. So that's the way they get around this. But I think most of us who've lived for any length of time have experienced firsthand the evil in the world. 
And the Christian science answer just cannot be seriously considered. But this apparent contradiction, this apparent dilemma due to the fact that we have unknowingly smuggled in this hidden premise to this objection. And this unquestioned premise really prevents us from from seeing the obvious and simple answer to this objection. And the smuggled-in premise is this. It's really the very thing that we're, we're looking at this verse tonight. It's the thing that this verse warns us not to do. The second part of verse 5 says, Do not lean on your own understanding. And it's leaning on our own understanding that's the cause of the difficulty of this objection. See, our own understanding cannot square the circle. Our own understanding cannot see how these three ideas, how God is, is all good, how God is all-powerful, and how evil can exist. We can't understand how all three of these can exist at the same time. Well, the answer to this dilemma, the answer to the problem of evil is, is yes, God is all good. Yes, God is all-powerful. And yes, he does allow true evil. It's not illusion, but true evil. He allows it to exist for a time. But he does it because he has a good purpose. He has a good use for this evil. It's to accomplish his good purpose. See, God allows the evil because he has a purpose that we do not understand. But because we are leaning on our understanding, we cannot not only not see this purpose, that God can allow evil and suffering, but we can't even conceive that such a purpose could exist. If we can't understand it, it must not be able to exist. And you see how arrogant this is? This, this leaning on our own understanding is? We, we're equating our knowledge, we're equating our wisdom, our perspective, and our goodness with God. We're saying if we can't understand it, God can't have a purpose. Which if I don't see, if I don't see a good purpose for this action, then one cannot be, exist. And if a good purpose can't exist, then God can't exist. In other words, saying God can't exist because I'm God, because I am the standard. I'm the standard of all judgments. Now we do need to be careful here with this command not to lean on our own understanding. This is not a command to ignore our own understanding. It's not a rejection of our own understanding. It's not a rejection of of rational thought. It's not a rejection of careful observation or logical analysis of the facts. No, not at all. Our rational faculties, they are a gift from God. And they are to be employed so we can understand his reality. And ultimately so that we can glorify him. But that being said, we need to realize that although our understanding is valid and essential to perceiving God's reality, it is still finite. It is still limited. And those limitations are most clearly exposed when seeking to understand God himself. Our finite understanding is fairly accurate when dealing with finite matters. However, however, it is utterly inadequate when contemplating the infinite God. To know ultimate reality, to know God's reality, we need more. And thankfully, thankfully we are given more. We are given the first part along with the second part of this verse. The whole verse is trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. And in dealing with ultimate things, infinite things, the things of God, we are beyond the realm of our own understanding. 
Leaning on our own understanding will lead away from rather than toward the truth. And this is when we must trust in the Lord. But this doesn't mean that we only need to trust in the Lord with respect to religion or with respect to the things of God or or dealing with infinite things. And then for the rest of the time, we can just simply lean on our own understanding. Now, we are always to trust in the Lord with all our heart. We are to trust in the Lord at all times and in all places. This is first and foremost. Trust in the Lord is primary. And when we are trusting in the Lord first, then our understanding will be rightly aligned with truth. Trusting the Lord with all our heart will will shape our understanding so we will be able to understand the, the finite things accurately in accordance with and in alignment with God's ultimate truth. See, all truth is God's truth. All truth comes from him, and its purpose is to bring glory to him. And we're not to lean on our own understanding apart from trusting in the Lord. But isn't this exactly what we do? Even as Christians, isn't this what we do? We rely on our own understanding as primary. Our understanding is the, the grid through which we interpret the, wor- the world, including interpreting our faith. Interpreting scripture. And this is exactly opposite of what this verse says. See, by allowing our our fallen worldly thinking, our own understanding to guide our thinking about God, rather than God's perfect, infallible word to shape our thinking, this leads to all kinds of heresy, all kinds of error in the church, and, and in our individual Christian lives. And the problem is that We want to decide what's true rather than trusting God's word to define for us reality. So in the example that I I mentioned earlier about the the problem of evil, the objection to God based on the problem of evil, what we do is we refuse to acknowledge that God could actually have a good reason, a reason that we don't understand, at least don't understand now, but have a good reason to allow evil to exist. But if we look at scripture, we see this happens all the time. We see God using sin all the time, using it sinlessly. We see God accomplishing his good, his holy purposes through the free and sinful actions of others. Perhaps the most well-known example of this is the story of Joseph from Genesis. See, God used the jealousy of, the treachery of, Joseph's brothers, when they sold him into slavery, God used to get Joseph into Egypt. That's where God wanted Joseph to be. He then used the wicked and false accusations of Potiphar's wife to get Joseph into jail, where he would be able to meet Pharaoh's cupbearer. And when Pharaoh had troubling dreams, the cupbearer remembered Joseph's ability to interpret dreams. And this brought Joseph into the position that God wanted him to be in. And God used all these difficulties that Joseph experience to prepare Joseph for the assignment that God had for him. And Joseph knew, although his brothers and Potiphar's wife and and others meant all their actions against Joseph for evil, Joseph knew that God had intended these actions for good. God used all of these things to prepare Joseph to save both his own people and to, to literally save the whole world at this time. And if you would have asked Joseph when he was unjustly thrown in the well or unjustly sold into slavery or unjustly spending years in jail for a crime that he didn't commit, 
Or even when his hopes were dashed, when the, the cupbearer completely forgot about him and left him for years in jail. If you were to ask Joseph what's going on, I think Joseph would have been completely discouraged. And if he leaned on his own understanding, he would have been completely lost. His own understanding would have failed him at this time. But Joseph didn't lean on his own understanding. He trusted the Lord. He trusted the Lord with all his heart. He believed. He trusted. And even though he didn't know what was going on, he, and he didn't understand, he still trusted. We see this even more in the book of Job. Righteous Job, through no fault of his own, at Satan's instigation, instigation, lost all his wealth, lost all his children, lost his health. He was in constant pain. He was, he was despised by those who, who had previously were not even worthy to talk to Job. And Job didn't understand. Job complained. Job insisted on his innocence. But Job still trusted in God. Job said, even, even though he slay me, I will trust him. Job said, I know my Redeemer lives. But even despite Job's faithfulness and not cursing God, Job still leaned on his own understanding. And this only increased his misery. Not only did he suffer the misery inflicted on him by Satan, with, with God's permission, of course, suffering that brought God glory, not only did he suffer this, Job also suffered misery because he leaned on his own understanding. Job, as well as his friends, they, they could not understand that God could allow the righteous to suffer, that God could have a higher purpose, a purpose not understood by Job, not understood by his friends. And this idea was completely foreign to them. And this failure to trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord with all his heart, removed the peace that he could have had during the suffering as God was glorified in him. And you notice while reading the book of Job that God never reveals to Job what's going on. He never tells him why he's suffering. God never tells Job that he's actually proud of Job and that Job is bringing God glory and Job is shaming God's enemy, Satan, in this suffering. Rather, what God does is he asks Job what seems like a, an endless barrage of questions. Seems like harsh questions. And what he did, he, the reason he did this is to prove to Job the utter foolishness of leaning on his own understanding. And the purpose of, of God's questions was to make it clear beyond a shadow of a doubt that Job does not understand the situation. It's clear that Job does not have the ability, does not have the wisdom, does not have the experience, does not have the perspective to question God's actions. See, Job must not lean on his own understanding. His best course of action is to simply put his hand over his mouth and stop talking. And the only way really to obey this verse, to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding, the only way that we can obey this verse is to know the God in whom we trust. We know the God. And the only way to know the God whom we trust is to spend time with him, to spend time with him in prayer, to spend time with him in his word, to spend time with him in worship. We must know his word. We must trust his word. God and his word must become more real to us than anything else, more real to us than our own feeble understanding. Another example is King David. David did not lean on his own understanding. David was, was anointed king by, by Samuel. He was the defender of God's people. He slayed the giant, Goliath. He was loyal to King Saul. But he was still hated. He was still hunted by Saul. 
And if David leaned on his own understanding, he would have taken matters into his own hand. He would have killed Saul, and he would have installed himself as king. He had many opportunities. He would have said, Lord, I, you anointed me as king. You brought Saul into my, into, into my hands. I'm just going to kill him. I'm going to, I'm going to take it over and, and uh, install myself as king. But David knew God. David was a man after God's own heart. David so respected God that he dared not raise his hand against the Lord's anointed. Even when he was wanting to kill him, David still would not raise his hand against the Lord's anointed. So David waited. David suffered unjust persecution. But we also know from David's prayers, the Psalms that are recorded for us, that David wrote. We know that David trusted in the Lord with all his heart. The Lord who was his shepherd. We know that the Lord provided for and comforted David during this difficult time. And it was the Lord himself that enabled David to endure this persecution. But the greatest example, the greatest example of trusting the Lord with all our heart and leaning not on our own understanding is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. From a human understanding cannot comprehend and explain what the Lord Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. My friends, this makes no sense according to human understanding. The cross is folly to human wisdom. It makes no sense to human understanding that he would become sin, who knew no sin, so that we, we could become the righteousness of God. The Lord Jesus knew what to expect. He knew the horrors of the cross. He knew the horror of suffering the wrath of God on behalf of his people. And as a man, as a man, he shrank from those horrors. And he asked, he asked that the cup might pass from him. But he did not lean on his own understanding. Rather, he trusted the Lord with all his heart. And he said, not my will, but thy will be done. And Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. And the cross makes no sense to human understanding. But it was the only way. It was the only way that God could be both just and the justifier of the one who had faith in him. And for those of us who have been justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, according to the inerrant word of God alone, all to the glory of God alone, for us, we we must continually abide in him, drawing closer to him, feeding on him, knowing that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And when we do, we will live this command. We will be able to live this command. We will be blessed by this command. We will be enabled to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do so often fail at this command that you have given to us. So often we lean on our own understanding. We think that we know what it's doing. We We want to control everything. And we're not trusting in you. Father, give us that capacity to trust in you, to trust in your word, to know that your word is more real than what our eyes see, more real than what this world tells us. And that is how we will survive. That is how we will be able to trust in you. That is how we will have the perfect peace. We will be just like our Savior who trusted in you and was able to do and be obedient to you, even to the point of death on a cross. 
Father, we pray that you will give us this ability and you will be glorified in us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.